This is Tim Staten with Tim Stating the Obvious. What is this podcast about? It's simple. You are entitled to great leadership everywhere you go, whether it's to church, whether it's to work, whether it's at your house, you are entitled to great leadership. And so in this podcast, we take leadership principles and theories and turn them into everyday, relatable, and usable advice. And a quick disclaimer, this show, process, or service by trademark, trademark manufacturer, otherwise does not necessarily constitute an implied endorsement of anyone that I employed by or favors them in representation. The views are expressed here in my show are my own expressed and do not necessarily state or reflect those of any employer. Hey, Russell, so I really appreciate you being on the, the show this year, and I just kind of want to set the stage for everybody uh, as they come in and they, they take a l- listen to this one. So this is going to be the first episode of a four-part miniseries that we're going to collaborate on. And you're a, you're a life coach and you're a leadership coach, and I believe that leaders need coaches. I'm a firm uh, believer of that. If you know you play a specific sport, you definitely need a coach. E- even surgeons have coaches on how to do things more efficiently and better. So uh, it's really great to get your perspective and your expertise in what you do. And I believe that the listeners uh, who are going to tune into this and listen to the show, they're going to get a lot of benefit from you and your expertise, what you have. And so kind of what we're going to be doing over the next couple episodes is we're going to be talking about uh, different topics, and then we're going to be providing uh, different tools and ways to overcome a challenge. Really, I kind of want to hear from you. How do you overcome those challenges? And was it beneficial for you? You know, were those topics that we talked about beneficial and were those tools beneficial? And how do we do that? Russell, uh, one, if you could just kind of give me a brief background about who you are and what you do. Yeah, thanks. And thank you for having me on my show, Timothy. So, I'm a leadership coach. I have been for 12 or 13 years. I'm a master certified coach, which is the highest certification of coaching that's offered by the International Coaching Federation. And I work with many different kinds of people, but I I tend to focus on on leaders. And it's interesting how I got here. So I lived most of my life in Alaska, and I was running, I was executive director of nonprofits there, mostly environmental groups, mostly high advocacy groups. And what I noticed was that the limiting factor in what my group could do or what my organization can do was not lack of resources, not the bad guys, not the circumstances, but it was a leadership. It was me. I was the limiting factor that kept the group back or, or if not kept the group back, didn't have the group go as far as it could. And there were a lot of leadership programs. I mean, you, you just Google leadership coaching or leadership uh, skills. And you'll get hundreds and hundreds of programs that will offer skills to leaders. But what I knew was that it wasn't a skill that I needed, right? I'm a smart guy. I could pick up leadership for dummies and learn all kinds of leadership skills. Essentially, leadership or good leader is, it depends on your your character and your being, your behavior, how who you are as a person and not the skills that you might have. And a classic example of that is you could be a master of, of rhetoric, but if you're nervous on the stage, your speech isn't going to go well. So you can have the skill of being a good speaker, but if you don't have the being of being a good speaker, you'll flop. And it was that being, or the leadership being, if you will, that I needed to develop. And so in 2010, I left Alaska and moved to New York City because I wanted to dig into a leadership coaching program where I was the coachee. I wanted to develop myself so I could go back to Alaska and be a better leader. And I learned a lot about leadership. I learned a lot about coaching. 
And I learned a lot about me in that process, but it was ultimately successful. I am a very different person today than I was back then. And because I couldn't find work while I was in, in New York City, I was there for five years, I needed to go into, into work myself, you know, to be self-employed, if you will. And what I knew at that point was leadership coaching. And so that's how I became a leadership coach. No, that, that's pretty awesome how you how you mentioned you know you you were seeking your your own self improvement and and you sought out to be a coach a coachee and then you turned out to be a coach yourself. So, can you kind of walk me through what was it like seeking out a coaching program? So you said you were in Alaska and you had to actually move to New York City in order to seek out this program. Is it because there were no programs in Alaska, or was New York the best place to get this coaching? Well, both and all, and um, yeah, there were, there were no leadership tr- programs that were working on developing you as a leader, as opposed to skill-based leadership programs and, uh, in Alaska. And I don't know how many there are in the country. I I didn't really look that hard, but there's also true. I you know I lived in a cabin back in the wilderness in Alaska. I, I I was ready to live in a big city. I wanted a new adventure. So so I perhaps could have gone to San Francisco or Seattle, but I I wanted you know, I want a city with lots of frenzy and where else can you go but New York City? So it was a combination. So what was it like and what was the process that you went to select a coaching program? So as many people are listening to this and they're like, you know what, I think I should benefit from a leadership coach. What do you look for when when seeking out a coach? Yeah, good, good question. So there are two different things. One is I went into a regular program. I wasn't, I didn't have an individual coach. So I'm an individual coach and people hire me and we work one-on-one, but I was more in a classroom kind of situation. Here's the, here's my, I'll get too deep into my theory so quickly, but essentially to be an effective leader, you need to be able to take risks. And by risks, I mean, you need to be vulnerable. You need to be able to expose yourself. You need to be able to, 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 um, well, I'm sorry, take a risk. I mean, that takes courage and it takes um, a real knowledge of what it is you need to risk in order to move forward. And when I went into that program, right, that's what it did. It taught me to be vulnerable. It taught me courage so I could move forward. So let me just give you an example to make it a little more concrete. One of the skills I learned in one of the leadership trainings that I went to when I was still in Alaska taught me about staff management plans. Well, that sounds really great. I don't know what the staff doing. You know, a lot of nonprofits are a little bit like kiddie soccer. Everybody's chasing the ball. No one's holding position. So I thought having a staff management position uh, plans for all my staff, we could figure out where they're going, what our priorities were, what people were accomplishing every week. So I put those into, into action in the program. But what I could not do is hold people accountable. So if I had a staff member said that they were going to do X by next Friday, and if they hadn't done X, I'd say, oh, okay, let's do X next week. So the consequence was that things didn't get done. And what was missing for me was being able to say, hey, listen, Joe, you said you did X, you didn't do X. What do we need to do? What was the breakdown? What do we need to do in place so that you do X next time? All right, how to hold them accountable. But what I was afraid of, and this is the risk coming back to the risk, I was afraid of conflict. I didn't want to have a fight with Joe. And I was afraid uh, that they would, that Joe wouldn't like me, 
right? That if I held his feet to the fire, that he um, com- completes what he committed to completing, that he wouldn't like me. So in both of those situations, I was unwilling to take risk. And as a leader or as a manager, if that is a concern of yours, and it is with most of the people I work with, you're going to be less effective. Accountability is a huge part of leadership and, and definitely, like you said, risk risk management. So you say this is a common theme, you know, being able to take risk and being vulnerable, uh, being able to you know have the courage to, to have that healthy conflict, because I think conflict is healthy in the workplace as long as it's healthy. I guess the question is, is you mentioned, you know, you were afraid of conflict and being liked. So I think there's a big difference between likership and leadership. And I know we're kind of going off topic a little bit here, but still on what is what is a leader uh, versus a manager. But when we talk about leadership versus like likership and being able to bolster that accountability piece and hold people accountable, um, what, what did you find in your growing process to be the best catalyst to get over that? Yeah. So several things. One is you need to make distinctions. You need to be aware of what's going on. So somebody could say, um, let's just say, I mean, the key purpose of a leader, for instance, is to say, this is where we need to go. That goal is important and we need to get there. So that's the essence of leadership. And if you stand up and say, that's where we need to go, you're putting yourself at risk because other people will say, no, it's not. They'll, they'll cut you down. I mean, you look at any leader in, in the political stream, in the political world, Right. They get criticized constantly. So it takes a lot of courage to be a leader. So the first thing you need to do is distinguish what you're afraid of. If it's just an amorphous fear, right, you may not, you, you won't be able to deal with it. You won't be able to manage it. So the first thing is to distinguish what is it that you're afraid of, right? Two is then understanding or making the choice of whether you're going to do what you need to do regardless of the risk involved or you're going to say no to the risk, okay? So it's essentially you're putting yourself a choice. Am I gonna do this even though the risks involved, risk of criticism, rejection of people walking away from me, or am I gonna sit home and not do it? So there's a, bit of, there's a choice after you've made that distinction. Then there are a number of tools, and we'll talk about it in the next three episodes, the tools that will support you if you do decide to become the leader, if you do decide to say, hey, this is where we need to go, and I want you to come with me. We'll look at a number of different tools to make that, that um, easier. And then the fourth is practice. You just got to get up there and do it. You fall down and get all bloody, but you pick yourself up and enter the fray again. So it's practice. So those are, those would be my my four key steps. Okay. No, that's really great advice. And I kind of want to go back to what you said at the beginning and and it kind of harkens to Sun Tzu, you know, know know yourself, right? When he says, you know, you got to know your enemy, but you also got to know yourself. And you mentioned about your character, uh, your being, your behavior, you know, that be, no do uh, type of leadership. So we talked about the leadership uh, aspect of it, but what about a manager? Because I think often people get those two confused. They do. And they're both really important functions and they're both very different. So a leader, as I said, points to the horizon and says, that's the way, that's where we need to go. This is why it's important. This is who's coming with me. Let's get an action. A manager, on the other hand, says, all right, we've got this process that we need to do. How can we do it most efficiently? We need to turn inputs into outputs. How do we do it most efficiently? Totally different personality styles, totally different behavioral characteristics, and totally different skill sets, right? 
both are essential. If you have a leadership and bad management, then you have checks bouncing and, and appointments being missed and, and, you know, total chaos. And if you have management without leadership, you might be doing things right, but you might be going in the wrong direction, right? You might not be going where you need to go. So the, 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 the little ditty around leadership and management is managers do things right leaders do the right thing. It's really good about that part right there, because I think vision is very important moving forward. And I think it's also very important to have that, that grit and that stick to itness when you make a hard choice and going in that right direction and doing the right thing. And you mentioned about the quality of your leadership that depends on who you are. I'm a big believer in that as well. I guess my question on that is we all come from different upbringings. We all come from different backgrounds and in, in life. You know, you used to live in Alaska. I used to live in North Carolina. Uh, so we all have different ways that we see the world. Mm-hmm. How is it that we can kind of come to a common understanding about quality of leadership? And what does it really mean, the quality of leadership? Yeah, that's that's a good question. I mean, there are two questions there. What's the quality of leadership and how, with all our different backgrounds, um, you know, can we become leaders? So taking the first question first, you know, you can see leaders throughout any culture, any group, any ideology or any goal. And every individual, too, is going to be unique. So leadership can be unique. It shares common attributes, like the vision, for instance, the ability to inspire people in where you're going, right? And the ability to get people into action. Those are the key attributes, regardless of what individual characteristics or qualities you bring to it. You bring to it. There's also within leadership, there are different leadership styles. There's the visionary style, but there's also the coaching style. You know, the coaching style is where you're developing the people. Be, um, developing your, your followers, or there's the democratic style of leadership where, where you only move forward when you have consensus. And then there's the, you know, there's the command and control style, which you might see in the military. Hey buddy, we're going here and you don't have a say in it. So there are all different styles of leadership that work better in some situations and and less so in, in other situations. And a good leader can pick the style that is necessary for the particular circumstances. And then the quality of, of, of leadership, you know, the quality depends, you, you can evaluate the quality on the results you get. Are you getting where you want to go? Are you achieving your vision? Are people flocking to your cause or are they, they disappearing? Are they running away? So ultimately, the, the quality of leadership is determined by the results that the leader produces. Yeah, I, I think results are huge because <laughs> if you're not getting results, then what are we doing here, Right. Um, it, it, no matter what it is, uh, I, I know everything is uh, results driven, but I guess I would say um, e- even with those results, um, let's say someone's been in a leadership position for 15 years and they're like, you know what? I'm getting results, but they still feel like they're still lacking. So how do we evaluate the results? So you said that the results are still lacking. How do we evaluate the results? You mean, how do we evaluate the leadership there? Well, yeah. Well, let's say someone's in a leadership position and they've been in leadership positions for 15 years, different organizations. It doesn't matter what it is. And they still get results, right? They still get the results that they're looking for. But let's say um, 
you know, them themselves, they feel like maybe the results aren't as good as they could be. You know, how do how do they then evaluate the results? So if the results aren't as good as they could be, they've already been evaluated. Is your question, you know, how do you improve your leadership so you get better results? Yes. Yeah. Uh, well, the answer is easy. Hire a leadership coach. The, um, and I'm, I'm being a little facetious there, but not entirely. Because one of the things that, you know, if somebody's been in the leader for 15 years, gets a certain amount of results, but wants to get better results to move faster or higher or, or take on a bigger project, it really helps to work with someone who can stand outside of you, right? And look at how you're looking at your leadership. Because how a person relates to their leadership or to themselves as well, right, determines a substantial part the results they're getting. So it really, again, it really helps to have someone outside of you and then someone who's trained to look at, right, what behaviors are you deploying here that are working in service of your leadership and what behaviors are working against. That's a great point um, that you bring up. So even if you've been in a leadership position for a long time, it's always good to have somebody outside to come evaluate um, what you're doing and how you're doing it and how to get better to improve your results. Now, what about somebody who is at the very beginning, who is just starting out into leadership I also would say that they would need a leadership coach, but what are some of the common issues or themes that you see with new young leaders? Yeah, well, there are a couple couple of thoughts there. One of the one of the one of my most common type of client people who come to hire me are people that at one point were in we call individual contributor. They're down in the trenches doing the work. Right. They may have been a programmer or IT guy behind his computer and he did it really, really well. So his supervisor says, Hey, let's make you team lead. We've got this project over here. So all of a sudden he's hauled out of the trenches and now he has to lead a bunch of other programmers or technical people, right? engineers or whomever. And that's where the trouble starts. And here I'm, I'm using, this is less of a leader and more of a manager, because that's usually the route we start out as managers and we move into leadership. But the number one concern is, is that in the past, they were comfortable producing results on their own. Now they have to produce results through other people, right? So the team lead is not there behind the computer cranking out code or doing engineering. They have, a, a, you know, five or six other guys, other people who are doing the code. And it's, it's scary. One, it's scary because you're, you're really good. That's why you got pointed to the position. And likely the four or five guys who are not working for you are not as good as you. So the, 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 the consequence is that you get in there and do the work. Or the consequence is you get really angry at these people for not doing the same quality work that you expect, right? And if their self-image was tied to their competence, which is really often the case, and the team starts collapsing and they're not, and the manager isn't actually doing the work, then their whole self-confidence and self-image starts collapsing. And that's usually when they pick up the phone and call me. So those are the, those are the two things, is being able to, to make that transition from individual, individual contributor 
to managing the results through other people and managing their own self-assessment, right? Because now their self-assessment isn't tied to how many lines of code they write or what kind of engineering designs they come up with, but how the team produces. Does that, does that make sense? No, that does make sense. And that that's a huge transition to make. I don't think very many people understand how important and how huge of a leap that is from going to an individual contributor to then managing the results through other people. And then that's how you get evaluated and judged through the results of everyone that you're leading through and how that's so tied to to you as an individual too, right? So like if you're a high performing individual contributor, then you go to a leadership position. And like you said, your team isn't producing the same high results that you would have produced, but you're being judged by them and and how that could have that mental effect. I, I completely agree with you. That That's a huge transition uh, for people to make. And I don't think people necessarily understand how huge that is and how hard of a transition that is. Yeah. And, and Timothy, here, here's the deal. When he was an individual contributor, you know, I'm just picking up programmers because I used to be a programmer. You know, you went to school and you got a you got a degree in computer science. But when they put you in the team lead position, you get absolutely zero training. Absolutely zero. And that's why there's so many bad managers and messed up teams around. No, I agree. That's that's the whole reason why I created this show um, is because I, I started noticing that there is a significant lack of leader development. And I know people talk about it uh, in, in, in various organizations, but when you really look at it, you're going to take a person that has technical hard training, right? You got skills training, you got hard skills training, but they don't really get the soft skills training. And then they're just put in a position like, go ahead and perform. And it's kind of trial and error and failure and then repeat and rinse until you succeed. And then the stress that you, right, (laughs) or not. And then, then the people that work with you and work for you, the stress the amount of undue stress that you put on them because you're trying to figure stuff out. Um, you know, so that's the, that's really why I created this show is so I want people to be able to take away real tangible items and tools that they can implement themselves so they can become better leaders. And so that also people don't have to suffer with you mm. in the workplace. Or, or not. be. <laughs> Uh, and I love that suffer with you because I can't tell you how many times I and how many people I know have suffered bad managers and they're bad managers just you know, they have not because they're bad people, but they just haven't been trained. And again, the training isn't just skills. It's also your being, your, your behaviors. So can we, can we expand upon that real quick when you said your being and your behaviors? So I think that's really critical because when we talk about character, I, I don't think that people really understand what character is. I know, uh, let's say 30, 40, 50 years ago, character was more of an understood word. People knew what character was. Now, not so much. And, and that's evident through behaviors and society if you take a look at it. So let's talk about what character really is and how your character translates to your behaviors. Yeah, that's a, that's a really good question. And I want to be clear to a certain extent, the word character doesn't quite encompass what I'm saying when I'm talking about your being or your kind of inner self. Um, as important as it is, 
and if I could just give an example, you mentioned that, um, or I guess we both mentioned that, you know, somebody's moved into a managerial position after being an individual con- uh, contributor. <coughs> Excuse me. If their sense of self-worth is tied up with how many lines of code they produce, and all of a sudden they're a manager and not producing any lines of, of code, then they can go into a real depression. They can be really undercut by that. So I include that, maybe not, that doesn't fall under the, the, the definition of character, but it definitely falls under the def, my definition of being, who you are. You know, we have to have our self-worth tied to something. And if that something is taken away from us, that can have severe consequences that will impact our, our managerial or leadership ability. That said, character, which we often think of in terms of like integrity or uh, you know, how we, you know, again, how we show up in the world. You're right. We don't have the same kind of cultural um, guidelines to train us as we grow, as we grow up um, that we once did. And a lot of times it was, it was tied to religion and, and some kind of ethical, ethical practice. And a lot of that has been undercut. But the key thing is you can't be a good leader unless you develop trust. People have to trust you and you have to have a trusting culture. Without that, it just comes apart. And the first thing that people look at is your character in terms of trust. Do you do what you say you're going to do? Right? Do you keep your word? Do you, when somebody else tells you something in confidence, do you keep that in confidence? Right? So there are a lot of different ways of, of developing trust and that's all tied to your character. No, absolutely. That, that's a huge piece right there we we have to have trust no matter what you do it's a foundation of of human beings you know on a relationship level and then on you know team building and organizational level and that just transcends through everything so yes absolutely um but you mentioned the self-worth piece and how that's tied to that and i'm just going to share this real quick so you know i'd been in a specific career field for about 15 20 actually about 20 years now and it's been a a huge struggle of me to kind of figure out okay who am i as a person, as a leader, not in this career field anymore. And and the show has been a great outlet for that uh, as well. But you're right. If what you're tied to and what you develop yourself worth as changes and you know you don't know how to deal with that, that could definitely lead to a huge amount of depression. So again, I would also offer up to everybody that if if you haven't thought about uh, you know a leadership coach, this is a great way to help implement that. So that way you can develop all your skills and kind of work through your mental stuff as well. So let's talk about imposter syndrome real quick, uh, because I believe we, we talked about new leadership. We've talked about you know, people coming in. We've talked about people who've been in for a long time. What have you seen with imposter syndrome? Because I think a lot of people may have this self-doubt of I'm, I'm starting to something new and I don't know what this is. So it's funny because imposter syndrome is kind of taken the world by storm. It's like everybody has imposter imposter syndrome. And here's the truth. Yeah, you're an imposter. You know, you're not 100% confident in anything you do unless you're, you've lowered the stakes so much that it's hardly worth getting out of bed, right? And really, you want to be in a position that's going to challenge you and grow you and, and learn you, you know, teach you new things. So in that respect, right, none of us are really prepared for the job. I actually love to quote, I'm going to mangle it. And it was some parenting advice. And it's essentially no one is ready to be a parent. I don't care how many books you read about parenting. When that baby finally arrives in your arms, 
and it's your, particularly if it's your first one, you're a bloody imposter, but it seems to have worked okay. We've got, you know, we've carried forth the, forth the human race. So the point is, the point isn't that it's, it's that you don't, not that you don't belong in this position because you're the wrong person or you're not competent. That's true, but so what? See it as a challenge not as something that's going to subvert you. And again, coming back to taking risks, the risk here is to say, you know what? This is part of my job description and I don't have a clue how to do it. I'm going to get some help. I'm going to get some support. I'll talk to my boss about training programs or something. So that's again, taking a risk. And the imposter syndrome feeds on you or becomes corrosive when you're unwilling to take those risks, when you're unwilling to be authentic with what you can do and can't do. So Again, your step towards leadership here, your step towards power is being willing to be exposed to take a risk. Absolutely. And I think one key thing that you mentioned there, right, with imposter syndrome taking the world, you know, people feel like, oh, they're the imposter. And you're right. Like you said, with the parenting thing, I, I fully, you know, one is being a stepdad and then I had my own kids, right? So I had one that, you know, showed up and all of a sudden now I've got to figure that out. And then that, then I had my own, were which were you know, babies, I definitely didn't know what I was doing when they were uh, babies, but definitely had to figure that part out. And, you know, everybody's turned out okay. So I agree with you that, you know, I don't know why um, imposter syndrome is becoming a thing or why it's become corrosive other than seeing things as a challenge. That's just, that's just me personally. And and I thought it was interesting because I started seeing really probably like the last six to eight months, a lot more uh, imposter syndrome type trends and topics about how people feel inferior or less than because they haven't been in positions before. And, and I would offer up to people that you need to get comfortable being uncomfortable because that's where you grow. And, and I've said that, you know, several times and I fully believe that uh, because if you're in a position where you're always comfortable, then you're not going to take the risk and then you're not going to going to grow. And then, you know, that impacts your leadership as well. But I know that's hard to do, to challenge yourself, right? So how hard is it for personal development and leadership development? Yeah. And I mean, you've nailed it. And, and one of the, one of our, our episodes uh, following this one will be specifically on that, that issue is you can't move forward unless you're willing to be uncomfortable which usually raises a lot of fear and anxiety in people. So how do you manage the fear and anxiety? How do you step beyond it? Right. And how, how do you willingly take those risks? Because I'll tell you that when you're taking risks, you know, within a level, right, jumping out of a plane without a parachute to risk, but it's probably going to have bad outcomes, but you know, taking a risk that for you is a risk, right. Charges you up, gives meaning to your life, get you excited and get you out of bed in the morning. And a lot of the people that hire me come to me, they're super high performing professionals and they say, I am bored. And if you look deeply into their life, I'm bored and I'm unfulfilled. It's because they're not taking risks. They're so comfortable, right? In their sensually heated homes and, and you know, Gore-Tex, whatever. They're so comfortable that of course they're bored. But to answer your question, you know, how do you get somebody to take risks? You can't get anybody to take a risk, but you can do is encourage them and support them in taking the risk. There is, an, and Timothy, I got to say, there's one of my favorite YouTube or, or TED Talks up there by a Chinese American, and I'm not going to, I'm going to butcher his name. It's like Jia Zhang. And 
this poor guy um, felt rejected all his life. And because he was so afraid of being rejected that he, that, you know, he just closed down and became a bloody clam. So his life was miserable. And he decided one day that he was going to have a hundred days and every day he was going to get rejected. And this is what his TED talk is about. It's those hundred days of being rejected. So he'd be rejected. Like he'd ask the bus driver if he could drive the bus. He asked the, uh, you know, the, uh, you go to a Starbucks and he asked if he could be a greeter like they have in Walmart. He would ask things where he knew he would get a no. And he just practiced. He just practiced until he was comfortable being rejected. Because somebody says no to you, it doesn't mean anything about you. It's just a no. No, yeah. And I actually, actually watched that same TED Talk. And I thought it was really amazing how he was like, I am and purposely going to get rejected. And, you know, and, and I thought also, too, what was really powerful about that was how he went on to talk about how he actually found in some things that he thought that he would be immediately rejected on. He wasn't. And I don't know if you remember that uh, part of that talk. And, and it really taught him that really, if I don't even ask. I'm eliminating myself and rejecting myself before somebody else can reject me. And, and that was a big eye opener for me uh, of what I took away from that is, is he was like, I'm going to be purposely rejectful on stuff and get rejected. And then he found out I really wasn't as rejected as much as I thought I would be. Yeah. And that's, that's a great example of how we subvert our own leadership is we assume the response we're going to get with and the, therefore we don't try. We assume that we know what response you're going to get, and then we don't try. Might as well shoot yourself in the head then. <laughs> so the yeah, so the again, it's coming back to taking risks and noticing how we develop. This isn't something I thought we'd talk about, but it's key: is we develop what we call I call control patterns or ways of managing our, our ourselves so that we don't feel uncomfortable. And one of those control patterns is assuming that you know what somebody else is going to say to you or do in response to uh, a request of yours. And if we assume we know, we don't do it, that keeps us safe, keeps us feeling comfortable. I, I think that's a great place to wrap this episode up with. If there's anything you, you want to add uh, to this episode before we move on to the next one? Yeah, I just had thoughts of, of just to explain what the next three are. So the, the first one is how to manage fear. So you can tackle these big challenges. How do you become a greater risk taker? The second one is how to manage your feelings, right? So that you can produce the results you want. Our feelings often subvert us. They don't always work in our favor. And looking at them and being aware of them, being able to manage them, you know, emotional intelligence is key to being an effective leader. And then the third one is how to generate power. We don't tend to think that it, our power, being powerful is something that we do. We think it's given to us, all right? But how do you generate power so that you're powerful and effective regardless of circumstances? So those are the three things we'll be talking about in the next three episodes. No, thank you for, for bringing that up. And I'm, I'm super excited about them uh, for me personally as well. I think these are great topics to talk about. They're very relevant uh, to everybody. And, and uh, these are things that I have seen in comments uh, on my own episodes and, and previous episodes as well. So uh, I think they will be highly value added for everybody out there. And I would like to ask everybody before we go that if you could comment, if you have a question that you want answered, 
and relative to any of the next several episodes, go to timstatingtheobvious.com and, and send me an email with a question or a comment that you have on this episode or any future episode that you may want to have answered. And we'll go ahead and we'll get Russell to answer those. Or go to the YouTube page, Tim Stating the Obvious, on this episode and comment down below on this episode on any question or comment you have for Russell on any uh, anything pertaining to this episode or any episode moving forward. Uh, so that way we can answer your questions for you there. Hey, Russell, I really appreciate you uh, taking the time and, and having this, this chat. And I look forward to the next couple episodes. Alrighty. Well, thank you, Timothy. And I'm looking forward to them as well. As always, thank you for stopping by and checking out this episode and listening to it. I really hope that you enjoyed it. Before we go, I'd like to ask a favor of you if I could. If you could please share this episode with one or two people who you think might like this topic. If you haven't followed or subscribed on the platform that you're listening to and hit all the bells and icons and all the whistles so that you know that when we post another episode, you'll be alerted, please go ahead and do all that before you go. If you got some value out of this episode, please leave a review or a comment so we can help spread the show to other people who might might be interested in the topics that we've talked about here today, but may not have found our show yet. Again, thanks for stopping by. I'm Tim Staten, stating the obvious.